Galatians chapter 6, you don't have to turn there. You probably know it, but it wouldn't hurt for you to turn there and just to kind of rehearse this again with me as we kick off another, possibly the last uh, week of this series, what I'm simply titling Faint Not from the Word of God, specifically from the King James Version. I like this, and I've broken this down previously, so I don't want to be redundant about it, but there, there is a distinction actually between losing heart and fainting not. And uh, there again, I think in week one or week two, I broke that down. Most versions say not to lose heart. Uh, King James Version uses the phrase faint not. And remember, I, I specifically spent some time there again a few weeks ago showing that there is uh, a, a definite distinguishable point between uh, losing heart and fainting not. Uh, it, it, is, it is incremental, it is, it is uh, chronological, you could say in some regard, that it's sequential in this given order, is that there's a losing heart before someone totally faints. Remember, I even brought out their levels of discouragement, I tied all that together. Going all the way back to the Old Testament, God addressed that issue, especially when his people went into battle. He said, you know, whoever's faint-hearted, whoever's faint-hearted, uh, you need to leave now. We don't, we don't want you going into battle. We're not, we're not going to castigate you and throw stones. We, we, we just, just want to make it real clear here that, uh, that there's not an issue that resides within you that this weakness will occur in the midst of the battle. So before someone can become faint or faint-hearted, they, they actually lose heart. So there again, there, there, there is a sequential order. Um, you know, this, this month, I didn't plan on saying this, and I, I, I really sense a prompting here. I'm going to share this. We might have to edit this out. This month is, is referred to two different things, two different ways you can articulate it. Uh, some refer to it as Mental Health Awareness Month. Some refer to it as uh, Suicide Awareness Month. And uh, it, it, is, it has become a, a pandemic in our nation. And not only our nation, but even other nations too. And it, it's not something new. Uh, suicide has plagued humanity since the dawn of civilization, and it has. But it seems like it's become much more pronounced primarily because of social media and, and, and the world has gotten a lot smaller. Even since I was, a, I was a boy, this world has gotten a lot smaller, hasn't it, in that regard. But anyway, um, it, it, it is a very serious issue, and it is a spiritual issue. And until Christians begin to realize it is a spiritual issue and contest that and fight that and understand that what I'm teaching, not just because what I'm teaching is relevant to what we're talking about right now, but what I'm teaching here can be the difference of life and death of some people. And this past week, a, a well-known pastor committed suicide in one of, the, one of the biggest churches in this nation. He was uh, very well-known, written several books, uh, I was familiar with him, read stuff from him, and always just, you know, from a theological perspective, he was solid and all. And, and he commits suicide this past week, leaves behind a wife and two children. And so the issue was this. What we're talking about here is not just to fill up a couple Sundays of teaching. This can be the difference of life and death. And, and there are people out there that we need to help and we need to stand with them and alongside them 
and let them know that no matter what they go through, they're stronger. God in them is stronger than what they're facing. So no matter what you have gone through, are going through, or might ever face in life, I'm going to tell you something. God on the inside of you, by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, is much bigger than anything on the outside of you that you are facing. And, and, and you have to get to the point that you become resolute in your heart that you are not going to be faint-hearted to begin with. You are so much stronger than you probably realize. I like Smith Wigglesworth, he used to put it this way. He, he would always say, I am 10,000 times bigger and stronger on the inside than I am on the outside, and so are you. And we're going to touch on that. And basically, I'm concluding this whole series I save this, kind of best for last, if you will, for these scriptures that pertain to this principle, what I'm talking about. So you can turn over, if you want to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, but there again, you are so much bigger on the inside than you are on the outside. God wants you to get to the place that even though you may be battle-weary from time to time, you may be battle-weary from time to time, and that's a progressive issue. You become battle-hardened, and then when you're continuing a battle, you become battle-weary. That's why you can't make everything a battle. If you make everything a battle, you, that alone will make you battle-weary. But just when you, when you focus on the real battles, when they are elongated in life, they can make you battle-weary. And then what can happen from that, you can begin to become somewhat uh, faint-hearted to the point that you can faint if you are not careful. But that is not going to happen to you. Amen? Amen. Turn to people the left and right of you, in front of you, behind you, and say, that's not going to happen to you. You are not going to become faint-hearted. You are not going to faint. Amen? Even, even if you become faint-hearted, it's going to pass within a moment of time, in Jesus' name. Amen? So, our, 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 our textbook... Uh, you know, uh, Scripture has been Galatians 6, 9. You, you can stay in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But Galatians 6, 9, I know you can all quote this. If not, you need to memorize this. It just simply says, well, you tell me what it says. I forgot. Let us not grow or become weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall... Boy, are you sure about that, Reed? That was really weak. Let's back up just so let's rewind that. For in due season we shall, if we, now there again, some versions read, if, if we not lose heart. But that's a progression. You lose heart. When you lose heart, eventually you will faint. You will be completely overcome, okay? Uh, when you, you know, lose heart is being overwhelmed. When you faint, it's, it, now you've been overcome. When people who deal with stuff in life and it gets to them to the point where it beats them down and they are fighting a lot of demons that some people don't even know the degree of the demons they're fighting, they're being overwhelmed. When they get to the point where they completely quit God or quit life by taking their own life even, it's because they fainted. You see how serious this is? So we need to understand that we are never going to faint. We are not going to lose heart. And we're going to help people around us for the rest of our life not to lose heart and not to faint in Jesus' name. Amen? So there again, we're not going to faint. Somebody say, I'm not going to faint. 
in Jesus' name. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, as we have received this ministry, therefore, seeing that we have received this ministry, I'm reading and quoting from the King James Version. As we have received this ministry, therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we've received this ministry because we've received mercy. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. We faint not. Look at this. This is, this is so powerful. This entire, this entire book, of course, is very powerful. Book of 2 Corinthians, look at verse 2. But have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. That literally means not adulterating the word of God. There's a lot of adulteration of the Word of God out there. And that's why I can get a little beside myself. I can get a little upset. I can get a little bit, and some people don't understand me, the reason why it's because I'm fulfilling 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. When I see the Word of God being adulterated, when I see it being polluted and tainted and prostituted for personal gain or for the gain of popularity's sake, I'm going to tell you something. I get irate and I get upset, and I should and you should too. There should something rise up on the inside of you when you see the adulteration of the Word of God. It's like people, you know, every, you know, humanity adulterates everything. They prostitute, they malign any and everything. Everything from our climate, everything to relationships, and everything in between. It just happens. Mankind, fallen man, does that. It's just a given because it's the fallen Adamic nature within people. But when you get born again, there shouldn't be the adulteration. There shouldn't be the prostitution and the proliferation of that given issue. There should be the purity of the Word of God and the purity within the spirit and soul. So Paul is simply saying, I'm getting sidetracked already and digressing, but thank you for your patience here, is that this is one thing Paul said, I make sure that we, that we contest, that we confront that we combat, and that is we will never adulterate the Word of God. And we will overcome those and the spirit of those who adulterate the Word of God. And he goes on to saying that by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. He's just simply saying, he's saying, you know what? What you see is what you get. My hands are clean. My heart is pure. I have no hidden motives, no hidden agendas. I'm not in this for anything else but God for Jesus Christ. I'm not a man pleaser or a people pleaser because, because I'm going to tell you something, as the Word of God even declares, that, that, when, that when you are out to please people, it brings a snare. That the fear of man brings a snare, the Bible says. So you, 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 can't, you can't be in ministry especially if you fear people or what they're going to say or what they're going to think. I'm sure you've discovered this. You can't live your life if you're going to fear what people say or think about you. Amen? So anyway, oh, I digress again. Let me say focus here. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to those who are lost. Can't hide the gospel. you got to let it shine. Amen? How many of you grew up singing this little light of mine? I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. How was that? A key of C? I think I was a C minor maybe. But anyway, I make my own keys up because I can't sing in key. In whom the God, oh, this, you know, now seriously, let's put our serious cap here. In whom the God of this world, notice a little G there. Satan is the God of this world. Little G, I want to keep emphasizing. He's the little G God of this world. 
He is the God of this, that word world, this age, this aion, this period of time, if you will. He is in control over fallen humanity in this world. That's why you connect these theological dots. We're in the world, but we're not of it, right? We're not, we're not prone to its ideologies, or we should not be. We are not prone and susceptible to its attacks and all of that because in this world, back to that again, in this world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So Satan is the God of this world, this present age, this aion, this present state of being, if you will. Someone even might want to say dispensation and still be theologically correct. So if he's the God of this world and we're in this world and God, big G, big G God, the one and only true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, even the Bible says, so then if God is for us, and who can be against us even though the little g God is in this world and trying to manipul manipulate things that we will always overcome this world and the things that are in this world? Can I get a witness on that alone? I deterred all of that for your benefit. Whom the God of this world hath blinded the eyes of them which believe not. And that's what we need to understand here is that people are not born again. They can't see what you see. They can't understand what you understand. And that's why those individuals, especially those who contest our God, and they contest your life, and they contest what you stand for and believe for, they're never going to see what you see. And it's sad, and which, uh, I, you know, I'm going to rephrase that. Scratch that. There are levels of sight in Christendom as there are levels of optical sight in people. As you can tell, because I'm wearing glasses, which these are actually glasses. They're not fake glasses for me to try to look smart. I'm already smart. But anyway, so like you are, if you wear glasses, you know, it's, you're already smart, right? As you can tell, I don't have 10-20 uh, vision. Is it 10-20 or 20-10? I always get that mixed up. 20-10 is like optimum. As a matter of fact, our U.S. Air Force, Brother George Wright, which I'm glad he's back, he can substantiate this. We put 20-plus years in the U.S. Air Force. Right? And uh, amen to that. I was having to check myself on that. I was like, yeah, I, I, that, that was right. Yeah, I, I knew that. Anyway, but um, used to be, if you're going to be a pilot back in the day, you had to have 20-10 vision. 20-20 bare minimum. It couldn't be any lower than that. Now we can, anyway, but anyway, so in the natural, there are people who have, even in this category here, like myself, I don't have 20-20 vision. Now, in certain areas I do, but in some areas I don't. My vision is... It doesn't measure up to that point. So it is in the spirit. Some Christians have 20-10 vision. Some Christians have 10-10 vision. Some Christians have, I mean, unbelievable, meaning they see things that most Christians don't see. And most Christians never will be able to see, even with corrective lenses. They just still won't be able to see what, some, what God has gifted some people to see. One, one of the phrases in, and, and actually the literal translation in the Old Testament, because there are, there are different types of prophets in the Old Testament. And there was a category of prophets. They were a prophet, but they were known as seers. 
And the reason why, needless to say, is because they had spiritual insight and spiritual foresight that God revealed things to them and they would communicate that to the people of God in the Old Testament and it would come to pass. It's because even to this day, a lot of Christians are walking around with blinders on. They're, they're living their life with eyes wide shut. And, and, and it's sad that they can't see certain things. So bottom line is this. I, I understand why, why people who aren't saved can't see God. I understand why they can't see behind the veil, even to a degree. But it kind of frustrates me with Christians, especially they've been saved for a long time. And I understand there are levels of vision. There are levels of vision gifting, even in Christendom. But still, some, there again, I mean, they got blindfolders on. So God wants to open up our eyes so we can see him in every facet of life. Amen? But anyway, back to this. So the God of this world, he has blinded the eyes of those who do not believe, lest the glorious light of the gospel. Can we continue to read? This is so powerful. So lest the light of the, of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light. Man, a lot of this light stuff, huh? For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I need eight weeks just for that one. Oh, we're going to get to that here in a little bit, though. Won't be able to do it full justice, but we'll touch on it. But we have this treasure. Oh, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God. And not of us. Oh, oh, we'll get to that more fully later. We're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. Turn to somebody and say, Did you get that? We are perplexed, but we are not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We are cast down, but we are not destroyed. We're going to revisit this in a few minutes, but verses 7 through 9, and I pray even in advance that God give me the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to articulate, if nothing else, verses 7 through 9 to you today. Because when you understand 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7 through 9, you will not faint. You will not lose heart. You will not quit. And you will have the strength not only to sustain yourself by the power of God and the glorious light of the gospel of Christ, but you will be able to go into this dark, dreary, dank world and help people, help rescue people, help give them some hope and strengthen their heart and let them know that you are not going to faint also. Somebody say, I see that. I see that. I can see clearly now. There we go. Look at this. Let's backtrack just a little bit. Therefore, seeing. Can't escape that, can we? Therefore, seeing. Therefore, seeing. Because there again, you're never going to be able to stand strong and overcome obstacles and never to faint if you can't see the end of what you're going through. You have to see the end result of what you're currently experiencing. The end result of your trial, the end result of your setback, the end result of the persecution, the end result of the regression 
isn't the result itself. The end result is you seeing the breakthrough, the miracle, the healing, the restoration, the things turning around in your life. You need to see that now, which will help you to never faint. So Paul is just trying to make this very clear, no pun intended, clear and seen and clear sight and vision, that we have this ministry. You have been given a ministry. And do you realize, I mean, this is a given. Your ministry is not my ministry. My ministry is not your ministry. That's how God ordained it. You're going to reach and touch people I never will. You're going to be able to have an inroad to people's lives that I won't, not only just from a personal relationship issue and, 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 of course, a location issue, but just because God is using you in different areas, different ways, different means, different groups, and all of those kind of things. I know we know this stuff, but it bears repeating because sometimes we forget it. Because it's also in this very book that Paul, because there's just so much, oh, there's so much wisdom, of course, the entirety of the Word of God, especially here. When Paul touches on that very issue, those who compare themselves among themselves are not wise. So don't, don't, don't ever compare your ministry to someone else's ministry. Bottom line is understand your ministry, utilize it, use it effectively to help set people free. Amen? To help people, right? So you have a ministry. Turn to somebody and say, you have a ministry. We get, we, get, we, get, we get way too spooky, ooky spiritual on this stuff, and it's not. I mean, ministry just primarily means attendance or aid or to serve. Now, it means a few other things in that, but, uh, you know, just broke this down to the lowest common denominator here. The rudimental foundational definition of ministry is that. You are aiding someone. You are serving someone. You are giving attendance to someone. You are attending to the need of someone. You are attending to the cry of someone. You are attending to the hopelessness of someone. You are aiding them. You're not, just, you're not abetting them. You're aiding them. There's a difference between aiding and abetting. You, are a, you have come to their aid to get them out of the situation, not to keep them dependent in the situation, to be free from it. So you are there to aid people. I mean, your, your whole life is... Your whole life is to provide spiritual aid to people. Every time you speak kind words, every time you encourage someone, every time you tell someone, hey, man, I, I just see great improvement in your life. Every time you do that and so many other things, every time you pray for people, and the list goes on, every time, back to Galatians 6, 9, every time you do good, see, we can't grow weary in that even. Why? Because that's ministry. But, but because we live in this society that has been created, everyone is looking for fame. Everyone is looking for recognition. Everyone is looking for promotion. Everyone wants to be known. Everyone wants to be seen. Everyone wants to be heard. Now, if there's complete purity in that, that's fine. But when everyone's out there promoting themselves, when everyone else is trying is trying to get the spotlight on them. I shouldn't go there, but I am. What has developed in this society is everything is boiled down to self-promotion. Everyone's seeking recognition. Whatever in the world happened to live in a humble life? What in the world ever happened to keeping things to yourself? I, oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to stay focused. I'm going to stay focused. But anyway, anyway... <laughs> 
So, so ministry, to tie this in, ministry isn't about a platform. Ministry isn't about the lights, the camera, the action. Ministry isn't about people knowing who you are. It's about helping people. It's about letting people know who Jesus is. It's about aiding them, attending to a given need. It's about serving them, not serving ourselves. motivational desire. It's about serving, preferring others above yourself. I read that somewhere. It might have been in Motor Trend this past week, but I read that somewhere as that to prefer others above yourself. That's ministry 101. You've been given a ministry. You are making a powerful impact in the bubble that you live in, in the world that you live in. I say bubble in the best sense of the word there because in all actuality, because that word can be used in a good sense, in all actuality, we, we are in this bubble, if you will, meaning we are, we are in this spiritual biosphere. You are protected. You are inoculated. You, are, you have been divinely immunized in a good sense, and you, have, and you are insulated from the God of this world. So you take this Holy Ghost bubble, if you will, and you go into the darkest, dankest recesses of, the, of, the, of society and people's lives, and you minister to them to get them out of those situations. That's who you are. That's what you're capable of doing. That's what you have done. And you're going to do that like never before. Somebody say, I have a ministry. You have a ministry. I'm going to tell you something. When Jesus said the last will be first, the first shall be last, he's referring to this very principle in that regard. Is that I'm gonna, when, when the awards are given out at the judgment seat of Christ, given out to Christians, as a whole, people who the world has never heard of are going to receive the biggest reward from God the Father and God the Son. Because the last will be first in, those, in that given day and occasion. Some of the greatest preachers the world has never heard will get their day in court, if you will. Some of the most self-effacing, servant-oriented people this world has never known will get their day in the court of heaven and receive the spiritual eternal accolades that they receive. I've known some of them, some of them are family members that are now even in heaven that gave everything they could for the betterment of helping other people. You're going to receive that. So, so always remember that. Don't, don't ever faint when it comes to ministering to people. Don't ever lose heart of ministering to people. Do you realize this? It, when, you're not, when you're not recognized and acknowledged for what you do, do you realize that God chalks that up even more so in heaven? Just what? Now I, I got to address this too. There's nothing wrong with being recognized and acknowledged. As a matter of fact, we need to encourage one another's ministry. And that's what I try to do every Sunday because there again, you have a given ministry, you have an anointing, you have a calling, you have a purpose, and it's all different spiritually and even in the natural perspective. How much time do I got? Bottom line, thank you, Elder. He just gave me, Elder Freeman gave me plenty of time. So if I go too long, blame him. Look at this real quick like. Not only from a spiritual perspective you have a ministry, but in, in the world. Now because you're a born-again child of God, out of your spirit flows your ministry into the natural. Can I touch on this just a moment? Thank you. Your ministry flows into the natural. 
And now here's the thing also. Even if someone isn't born again, what they contribute, those who truly contribute to society, that's a ministry if it has helped people. They may not be born again, but if they are helping people in any given way of life, that's a ministry. Now, the best of both worlds is when you, com- when you couple a born-again spirit with helping people in the natural have a better life. It's just popped in my spirit. I'm going to share this. I'm taking the Holy Spirit. So case in point here. You know, I love history, student of history. I don't know if you ever, hopefully, I'm sure you have. I shouldn't say it like that. I'm sure you have. You're very familiar with all the writings of Thomas Paine. Thomas Paine basically helped to set the course for the Revolutionary War. He, he, he actually, he lit the fuse, if you will. I mean, he lit the fuse. He gave the torch and said, let's do this thing. I won't go into his background, real interesting background, wasn't highly educated and all of that, all of that. Uh, did not have a, fo- a lot of formal training by any means, but he had a gift to write. He just had a gift to write. Now, the thing about it is, even those, those who criticize him to this day, they didn't like his style, or those who, those who, who laud him, they, they all say that bottom line is, even though he didn't write in the typical, typical gentlemanly style of the late 18th century, the late 1700s, he still was extremely intelligent, articulate, and he never, he never, and even though he could, he could just get down to the, bass, the, you know, just the base elements of society, he never insulted even the most intelligent person's intellect. So he had, he, it was a gift in that regard. There again, not a, not a formal training, all that. He wrote this little pamphlet, you could call it. Maybe you've heard about it. It was called, you know what I'm talking about now? It's called Common Sense. It was published in 1776 in January, January 1776, here in America. Now you, now you know kind of the rest of the story. Now, because we had our supposed founding fathers and supposed that all these other leaders, and some of them were just gung-ho, they were so tired of the tyrannical uh, oppression of the Dacronian ta- uh, tax laws, they were tired of the raping, the pillaging, and the plundering that the British soldiers were, were, were doing on a regular basis, the confiscation of their, of their property, the confiscation of all of their goods, and all of that, right? So, you know, they, they just got tired of it, and rightfully so. So they weren't doing a lot about it. They weren't definitely not moving fast enough. Thomas Paine, when he wrote that little pamphlet, Common Sense, it lit the fuse. He basically... He was, like the, he was like the father of the founding fathers, if you will. He basically put words and put action behind those words he, that started the Revolutionary War. So in January 1776, this little thing is published, right? And it's distributed, and it just goes in mass. I mean, it hit the Internet, and it went viral. So in January 1776, I mean, like all, all the colonists read it. People were buying thousands of copies and distributing the wealthy colonists were and distributing. So you got to read this thing. This man is saying what we're feeling. This man is saying what we've been experiencing, even though he's only been here for two years and he was born and raised in England. So now you kind of know the rest of the story. Something happened in July 1776. All because this one man who was 39 years of age unknown, wrote a little pamphlet called Common Sense. He basically said, you know, it's common sense that, 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 that we stand up against this tyrant by the name of King George. 
It's only common sense that we protest the heavy taxation he's levying against. It's only common sense that we defend our houses, our property, our wives, our sons, and our daughters. It's only common sense that we stand up for what God has given unto us. It's only common sense. Man, the torch was lit, and people started rising up. You know what happened? Of course, then you had Concord, then you had Lexington, you had all that. And then July, July 4, 1776, bam, let's do this thing. Now, here's the thing. This guy isn't a soldier, never was trained or anything. He joins Continental Army. Didn't know how to shoot, but he learned real fast. And the thing about it is, you know, first of all, we're doing all right. And then we start losing. Coming into the fall and early winter, we start losing. And we have to start retreating out of New York because we lost it. Gave it up to the enemy now. And we just, we just keep getting pushed back, pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. Now dead of winter. Late December, and we're being pushed back all the way through New Jersey. We're just retreating, retreating, retreating. We lose battle after battle after battle after battle. And while, while the Continental Army was retreating, and there again, a few days before Christmas, like, we ain't going to have a good Christmas this year, guys. It was inevitable they were going to lose before the first of the year. He starts writing a book as they're, as they're walking. At night, huddled around a fire, he, he's pinning some, certain words. And he wrote this other little essay, if you will, called Crisis. You may be familiar with the opening line. I've had it for almost 40 years within my spirit, I, and I write it down all the time and have it, I have it d- different places. You can find it in my work truck. You can find it at my desk. You can find it on a nightstand. You can find it everywhere. And it says this. These are the times that try men's souls. I mean, if that doesn't do something to you, we're on, the brink, we're on the brink of being wiped out. Because you know that everyone who was fighting the Continental Army, they committed treason. They were all going to be hanged. They were all going to die and lose everything. These are the times that try men's souls. Late December 24th, George Washington had a copy of that. And he read it. He was moved to the point. He gathered his troops, gave it to his commanding officer. He said, I want you to read this. He read the whole thing, but there again, that first line, men begin to weep. And a resolve rose up within them. Even though many of them had frostbitten toes and even feet, many of them didn't even have shoes wrapped in cloth. They weren't properly armed and properly even attired for that brutal winter they were experiencing. But when that was read to them, something rose up on the inside of them. George Washington came up with a plan. He said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to cross the Delaware River on Christmas night. We're going to take this right to the enemy. Hopefully you know the rest of the story. Christmas night, they crossed the Delaware. They defeated they defeated the British armies and the Hessian soldiers and the Russian soldiers that the British had hired as mercenaries, defeated them at a surprise attack, which that was the beginning of the turnaround of the Revolutionary War, all because a guy had a ministry with pen and paper. I digress maybe a little bit too much, but people need to understand this. Your ministry may be totally different than somebody else's, but your ministry can light a fuse in a whole nation. Your ministry can set a fire, somebody to rise up and say, I don't think so. 
I'm going to fight and overcome this very thing. Whatever it is in life, you need to understand, you can reach people and touch people and be more effective with what God has graced you in than other people in other ways. So be like David. Put down Saul's armor and use what God has given you. You're familiar with the sling. You're familiar with the stones. Use that. Use what God has placed in your hand. Somebody tell you, use what God has given you. Use what God has given you. That's the ministry he's given unto you. Oh, I got it. And you're helping more people than you ever, 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 ever realize. Notice this. That there again, we have this ministry. You have this ministry because we've received mercy. We faint not. I'm going to do this. I want to back up. We're all familiar with verse 17, 2 Corinthians 3. It says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. We sing that even. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Everyone say amen to that, right? Notice this in verse 18. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So that's where we get that text. Glory to glory. Not dreariness to dreariness. Not defeated, defeated to defeatism. We go from glory to glory. Now the thing about it is, sometimes in between, we may go through some dark times. So you notice this, and keep in mind, as you remember... There were no numerical demarcation. There were no numerical breaks here. It, just, it flowed. And it flowed into this. So, so, so now we go from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord, right? So therefore, seeing we have, we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. So even though we've experienced this past degree of glory... But where we're currently at is a place of darkness. It's a place that's dismal. It's a place that is working completely contrary to what we need and want in our life. So Paul begins to remind us, okay, you might not be to that other level of glory yet, but hang on, because we can't faint now. Tell somebody we can't faint now. So you see, all, all this is connecting now. So we've renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. So he's talking about you stand on the word, stand on the word, stand on the word. Our gospel be hid is hid to those who are lost. It also means this in this regard. Not only are we communicating the gospel because you have a ministry to do that, but also this. Your life, your life is the biggest reflection and proof of the gospel. You can't let it be hid because it can't be. You can't hide, really, bottom line, you can't hide if you're sad or you can't hide if you're happy. To those who really know you, you can't hide that. You can't hide if you're excited or not excited. Now, you may fake it, but in that category, you can't fake it till you make it. It just won't work. So our gospel is going to be revealed. The gospel of, God, of Christ is going to be revealed in our life. Be it if we are in a gospel of defeatism, which is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm well aware of that, but stay with me. Or is it the true gospel of Jesus Christ, which is one of victory and overcoming, right? So we're not going to let that be hid, of course, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we already touched on verse 4. I want to drop down into uh, the latter part of verse 4, though. 
because Satan has blinded the minds of those who believe not, and on occasion he blinds the minds of those even who believe. Because there have been times in our life, times in my life, we are 100% honest. It may only last for a moment, and that's about how long it should last, if any, is that for a moment we might not believe. Got three honest people here today. For a moment we might lose heart. For a moment we might almost faint in that given subcategory of a subcategory of our faith. Anyone with me here? I understand what I'm talking about. Unless the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them, and of course in that situation our life. We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Back to that ministry thing, right? There again, we could read it like this. And ourselves your ministers for Jesus' sake. Because the word servant defines the word ministry. Now look at this. For God who commanded the light, you're going to get happy now. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. When's he talking about? Oh, I'm sure he's talking about, you know, we have a record in Genesis chapter 1. God said, let there be light, you know, that there was darkness upon the face of the earth. And the Spirit of God hovered upon the face of the, the deep. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. It does mean that. But it also means this. In a specific context, here's what it means is that when you go through any moment of darkness between your glory to your other glory, verse 18, chapter 3, right? From your previous glory to your future glory, there's darkness. Some level or another. Some level or another there is. Because you are at this level in order to get to that given level in your life that you need God to do something in your life, which is going to be another level, call it another step, whatever you want to call it, there's going to be something in between that you're going to go through and face before you receive that other level of glory. We call it blessing, we call it miracle, we call it breakthrough, we call it healing, we call it... Whatever it is, bottom line, it falls in the category of a, of a greater revelation of the glory of God. That's, that's what it is. So before you get there, you're going to go through some dark stuff. You're going to go through, and, and sometimes it's not as dark uh, as other times, but you're just going to go through something difficult. I don't like it. You don't like it. None of us like it. But in order to get to a next level in your life, it seems as though, without exception, <laughs> the enemy's going to do something to us. Sometimes it's small, but he still tries to mess with us. Sometimes it's great and almost tries to take us out. It's called life. It's called the perplexities of life, and it's called also the trauma of life. None of us like it. And that's why there again, we have to be faithful ministers to aid and assist and serve people who are going through the traumas and tragic aspects of life. I would to God they would never happen to you or to me or to anyone else that we know and love. Would to God. But the thing about it is they do. And when they do, we need to be the people that will aid and assist and serve and help people through those times. You know, one of the main reasons why you and other Christians throughout the world attend every Sunday when the doors open the house of God is because 
We need a new degree of an infusion of ministry into our spirit, into our heart, and our life. Back to this, though. God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts, has shined in our hearts. You are living proof. You are an example. You are a walking, talking miracle of the light of God, the grace of God, the glory of God, the provision of God, the goodness of God, the love of God that he's shed abroad in your heart, in your life, in your situation. When you were devastated, when you were down, when you were beat down by life, when your heart was broke in a million pieces and you didn't think you could, you could see, you could remotely even see any kind of betterment ever coming into your life. In the midst of that, God commanded light to shine in your darkness. And somewhere, somehow, through the tears and through the heartache and through the loss and through the pain and through all, all of that yuck that you went through in life, God began to put some life into you. God began to bring light also into you and started breaking the bonds of darkness off of you. Sometimes he sent people to you. By all means, he sent his spirit to you. He sent the indwelling and the comfort. Why do you think the title for the Holy Spirit is the comforter? Because he comforts you when it seems like all hope is lost and everything is lost within you. And he begins to nurture you and care for you. And he sits there and pours himself into you so that all the pain and all the hurt and all and all of that heartache begins to be healed and mended. It's slow. It doesn't happen all at once. But it begins to be healed. The reason why is because God begins to shine his light into that darkness. God has commanded that. God has shined. You, he has shined. Past tense. He has shined. He has shined in your hearts. He has shined in that darkness that has occurred in your life. That's why you're still in the race. That's why you haven't fainted. That's why you didn't completely lose heart, and that's definitely why you didn't faint, is because God shined in the midst of that darkness. That's why you, you can't always look at how dark it is. You always have to look that there's at least a glimmer of light there. At least look that there's a glimmer of light there. I mean, at bottom line, it's this. If you are still breathing, there's still hope. If you are still alive, there is still hope. If you still have a sound mind, there's still hope, there's still hope, there's still hope. Everything may have broken round about you and things may have been ravaged beyond what you can even completely comprehend. But bottom line, you are saved this given day for a better day that God is going to release the glorious gospel and the light of his son Jesus Christ into your life that you will become a beacon, that you will become a beacon to so many people around you. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. It becomes bigger and bigger. Amen. Notice this, that the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessel. I'm wrapping this up. I've got to wrap this up. But we have this treasure in earthen vessel. You see, this is the beauty of 2 Corinthians. The whole book 
that illustrates the paradox of life. This is thematic for all of 2 Corinthians. You have the treasure, but you have the earthen vessel. But we have this treasure in earthen vessel. We're the earthen vessels. We get broken. We've got some cracks in us, fissures here and there. We're marred, got a few chips here and there. The thing is, you know, God can only use broken things, though. I, I, I don't know why we've, we've developed this, this mindset of, 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 of uh, God can only use perfect people and perfect things and all that. Everything that God uses, he, it's broken. The sacrifice of God or a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, that will not despise. It's the biggest revelation that David ever got. We find it in Psalm chapter 51. David finds it, wow, that's it right there. Everything God uses is broken. Jesus broke bread and blessed it. Broke fish and blessed it. Broken people came to him. He blessed them. They were restored. Yes, they were made whole, but still there were some things. That's why, just like your life, we came to him broken. And he blessed that which was broken. And that which was broken, blessed by the Lord, is now made whole. And when you are blessed by the Lord, there's no, there's no broken issues about you. You're whole, but the thing about it is there is this footprint, if you will. I'm not talking about a carbon footprint. I'm talking about a spiritual footprint now. Is that you're seeing that there is a broken issue about you. Is because people who knew you, how you used to be, see, all they can, all they can see is the brokenness. You can call it dysfunction. You can call it messed up. You can call it whacked out, whatever it is. Bottom line, it was brokenness. But you see, when you brought your broken self, and I brought my broken self to Jesus, he blessed the brokenness. He blessed the broken issues. He blessed that which no one else could repair, that which no one else could mend, that which no one else could put together. We couldn't put ourselves together. People couldn't put ourselves together. Politics couldn't put ourselves together. Politicians and all, their ideologies couldn't put us together. Nothing or no one could put us together. But when we came to Jesus, he put you, he put me, he put us together. And even though we still have a footprint of brokenness, that's beautiful because people need to understand there's been some brokenness in our life, but by the grace of Almighty God, we have this treasure in this broken, messed up earthen vessel that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. For more information about our teaching resources, visit our website at ciclive.com.